Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, April 30th, 2019, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar is taking a much-needed rest from her busy schedule, but she has started rescheduling sessions for August and September. Tonight, I'll be talking about the vital importance of following your daily astrological transits. You don't have to be a master at astrology to do this, and I'll be giving some tips and resources for you to take charge of the planetary influences by knowing what they are. We'll be taking general questions from callers, but not actual readings, please. We have resources available in our Vault of Knowledge, and I've just added a link there to what I call the Astrology Quick Reference Sheet. You can download it for free, and on one page, you can see the energy definitions of all the planets, all the signs, all the houses. Just go to starseedhotline.com forward slash vault dot htm, and you'll see the the link, and you can just right-click on it and download it or copy and paste it. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we would like to thank Kathy and Fiona for hosting the switchboard this evening for those who have a a question or comment. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com and the Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Anastasia or myself. As I mentioned earlier, Lavendar is taking a much-needed rest, but she has started scheduling again for late summer and fall. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. But please remember, if you want an interpretation and reading of that chart, you'll need to order it about four months ahead of your birthday to make sure that you get it in before your 10 hours because we do have a waiting list. So first up this evening is Anastasia's Starseed News, and I'm looking on the switchboard. Oh, there you are. (laughs) We got some full switchboard this evening. Hey, Anastasia, how are you? Well, hi. I am great. Good to be with you. Warming up. Spring is advancing. It's a beautiful day. And uh, better get started here. We have some news. Uh, NASA scientists are warning now of a so-called perfect storm whatever that means, as cosmic rays reach a record high. Some people say Earth is facing a mini ice age. We shall see. But some 10 years ago, scientists noticed an all-time high in cosmic rays. Well, really, I mean, how long have they been measuring this? So take this with a grain of salt. But anyway, the article goes on to say that these are rays which originate from deep space, not to be confused with solar rays. Now, scientists have noticed cosmic rays are increasing as the sun goes deeper into a solar minimum. 
the sun follows cycles of roughly 11 years where it reaches a solar maximum and then it goes back to a solar minimum. Well, cosmic, the cosmic forecasting site spaceweather.com says, and I quote, ground-based neutron monitors and high-altitude cosmic ray balloons are registering a new increase in cosmic rays. The neutron monitor in Finland, which has been making measurements since 1964, reports levels in April 2019 only just percentage points below the space age maximum of 2009. So what's going on? Well, the answer is the solar minimum. And during the low phase of the 11-year solar cycle, the sun's magnetic field and solar wind gets weak. That way, cosmic rays find it easier to penetrate the inner solar system. And in 2009, the sun experienced the deepest solar minimum in a century. And, consequently, cosmic rays that reached the Earth naturally surged. Now, ten years later, here we are, a solar minimum is back with renewed weakening of the sun's magnetic field and the solar wind. Now, a panel of experts led by NOAA and NASA recently predicted that the current minimum would reach a nadir, or a peak, in late this year or next year, likely matching the record-setting solar minimum of 2009. Now, I've noticed uh, in some countries they have had uh, UV uh, warnings and alerts. They call them radiation alerts, advising people to stay indoors uh, during, during certain hours of the day. And I would suppose that maybe that is because uh, perhaps the weakening of the magnetic field. All right. Well, we've had some really extreme weather in the Mideast. Flash flooding, dust storms, hailstorms, and even snow. The entire Mideast and North Africa regions have been pummeled all month long with extreme weather. The story comes out of the UK. But it's been a bizarre freak weather phenomenon that's occurred all across the Middle East. As I said, unleashing heavy snowfall, extreme floods, and what they call apocalyptic dust storms. This extreme weather has caused bizarre ice floods to sweep across deserts in Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the United Arab Emirates. This freezing plunge in temperatures has perplexed meteorologists in a region that is typically basking in scorching sunshine at this time of the year. Last week, several parts of Tunisia were hit by snow and torrential rainfall, even causing fatalities. Floods and colder temperatures were felt throughout the Levant as rain led to severe flooding in Riyadh and hail, thunderstorms, and flash floods struck the United Arab Emirates. At the same time, nearly 100 villages have been evacuated in Iran due to an extreme rainfall deluge and subsequent flash floods. And large parts of Saudi Arabia have been submerged in snowfall, snowfall sparking wonder among local residents who have never even imagined snow, and according to some report, reports, has been causing concern among scientists. I mean, this is the deepest of desert regions, and they're having this kind of weather. And the U.K. has already had more wildfires this year, 2019, than any year ever recorded. The U.K., now this is uh, April, <laughs> the U.K. has been hit by nearly 100 large wildfires this year already, uh, as I said, making it the worst year on record. And the hot spell in February and the recent Easter heat, wa heat, heat wave 
have contributed to a total of 96 major wildfires, eclipsing the previous high of 79 across the whole year of 2018. Researchers are saying that these figures, collated by the European Forest Fire Information System, are evidence that climate change had already heightened the risk of wildfires in the UK, and more than 100 firefighters, fires, firefighters excuse me, have battled wildfires over the Easter weekend in numerous locations simultaneously across the UK, just in the last week or two. And in tandem with that, they have a flea problem in the UK. Well, fleas and flies are normally a blight of the summertime. We all know about that. But infestations have become early this year in uh, the UK because of climate change, according to the experts. They say that calls to pest controllers surged in the first three months of the year with reports of fleas up by, get this, 198% and flies up by 120%. They say that it's because the winters have been milder and the insects have imagined uh, been able to come out uh, and breed during the winter and they're reproducing. And this February in the UK was the warmest on record, temperatures reaching 68 degrees before the winter was even over. And in Russia, wow, they have got wildfires. Man, the Transbaikal region has... Uh, the fires there have killed thousands of animals. They say that about 12,000 livestock have been killed through smoke inhalation or by burning through these massive wildfires in the Siberian Transbaikal region. It says it also threatens to destroy the area's national parks and their conservation sites. 10,000 sheep, about 1,300 cattle, 500 horses, and thousands of domestic birds have been lost. Domestic birds. Mm. I don't know about the wild birds, but photos and videos online have showed piles of burnt animal remains among the devastated fields covered in ash. Drone footage has captured dozens of homes, houses in these villages that have burned to the ground from these wildfires in Siberia, normally a cold, brutal place this time of year. Fire there. Odd. Well, let's talk about health and food and stuff like that. Did you know, I didn't know this, that eating mushrooms can dramatically cut the risk of cognitive decline? There's new research out that finds that seniors who ate mushrooms twice weekly had a 50% reduced odds of having mild cognitive impairment. Well, I've often wondered, and I think other people wonder, if there's any benefit to eating mushrooms. I mean, Is there any nutrition in those little fungi? But this new research from the National University of, guess where, Singapore, reveals that they do. Singapore produces mushrooms, by the way. And in a six-year study, this study went on for six years, researchers found that seniors who ate just twice as many portions of cooked mushrooms a week compared to those who just ate mushrooms once a week are half as likely to have mild cognitive impairment. Further, The finding was rendered independent of the person's age, gender, their education, whether or not they smoked cigarettes, whether they drank alcohol, whether they had high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, so on and so forth. It was the same no matter what differences the people had between them. The results were the same. And the portion amount is small for the amount of benefit purportedly to get from these. 
you only have to eat about three-quarters of a cup of cooked mushrooms, averaging a weight of about five ounces. Even just a small serving, they say, will be beneficial to reduce the chances of cognitive development later in life. This was based on data for more than 600 Chinese senior citizens over the age of 60 living in Singapore. Now, this study included six popular mushrooms, including the golden, oyster, shiitake, and white button mushrooms, as well as dried and canned mushrooms. Uh, This study also indicated that it's probable that all other mushrooms would probably also have the same effects, beneficial effects. Now, they believe that the benefits are due to a specific compound found in almost all varieties of mushrooms. This compound is called ergothionine, or otherwise ET for short. It's an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory, which humans cannot synthesize on their own, but they can assimilate this substance from mushrooms. And uh, also, they said that uh, the correlation is surprising and encouraging. It seems a commonly available single ingredient, such as this, in such a small amount, three-quarters of a cup, could have a dramatic effect on uh, a mental clarity and good cognition later in life. So hmm. eat up the mushrooms, right? As long as they're okay. cooked. Oh, as yeah. As long as they're absolutely. cooked. Yeah. Absolutely. Raw mushrooms. I, is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't eat raw mushrooms. Yeah, that's what I always thought. That's what I always thought. So you're saying cook them up. Because the article says here that if, if they're canned or cooked, it's just the same. Right. Good, good point, Ariel. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is fungus. It is fungus. So if you right. cook I mean, it, we, we don't eat them in our household. But, but I never thought that maybe this cooking kill the fungus, Ariel. Uh-huh. I guess it does. Uh-huh. I suppose it does. Common sense, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, we clarified that for everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Let's go to let's go to Holland for a second. Uh, <laughs> the quest for the perfect selfie with a floral background has turned into a damaging stampede that has angered tulip farmers in the Netherlands. Hey, I got an idea, guys. Let's go to Holland and make our way into these tulip fields so that we can get really nice photographs of ourselves. Well, (laughs) there is a tulip grower who owns more than 40 fields of tulips outside of Amsterdam, and he is furious. He says, these people walk all over my fields and they tear up the tulips Last year I had one field, and there were 200 people in that field. We have fields nearby the road, and all the time from 10 in the morning until 9 in the evening, and they're out there taking pictures of themselves. Well, people, uh, plenty of Americans and others, are failing to respect the field's boundaries and stepping right into the tulip beds, which, of course, ends up with crushed flowers, damaged bulbs, and thousands of people are walking into these fields every single day. One farmer said... They cost 10,000 euros worth of damage to his plants. So now the Dutch Tourism Board is asking visitors to be more considerate. It's asking people to imagine how they might feel to have someone march into their backyards without permission. Uh, didn't mention tearing up your tulips, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the article goes on to say that tulip tourists used to be old folks. But the trend has now shifted to millennials and Gen Zers, and they're blaming Instagram for fueling this rise because there's a fad going on. Young people are wanting to take their pictures with flower backgrounds, and now tulips are the latest rage. So tulips are going to the tulip fields during spring break or whenever they can get money for their vacations abroad, and they're taking vanity photographs for the, and their bragging rights for having been in Holland at tulip time. 
So <laughs> I think what this says is that um, this proves that perhaps the teaching generation has fallen down on their jobs. This might be a signal to parents and advisors of young people that they probably ought to be taught that whether human beings visit private land or public, it's probably a matter of common decency to leave no trace behind and to respect some other people's property so, and to respect nature above all. You know, the Native Americans, they left no trace behind whatsoever, something that we might all want to think about if we participate in anything like that. But here is another related story. This one is about the California poppy fields. Oh, it's not just limited to tulips. There is now an Instagram account. I don't do Instagram, but uh, maybe our starseed listeners do or don't. I don't know. But anyway, there's this Instagram account called, get this, quote, public lands hate you, end quote. <laughs> and this guy has gone to war with the selfish nature uh, invaders, people who just charge into nature and for their own purposes, and is now identifying people that neglect their environmental stewardship. This is getting to be kind of, uh, well, intense here. Um, let me tell you, rainy weather in California this spring has resulted in these gorgeous poppy blooms throughout the mountains. Be all, all sorts of wildfires, flyer, flowers, actually, purple and pinks, and now we're talking about poppies, but it's been a beautiful year in California for wildflowers. And these hillsides are carpeted with the orange flowers, and they say it's breathtaking. Well, not surprisingly, just like with the tulips, this has drawn tens of thousands of visitors that want to capture this on camera and post it to their social media accounts. Well, a lot of people now are being careless in their quest for their perfect Instagram picture. So they're stepping off the trails, they're lying down in the poppy fields, they're ripping out the flowers to make a bouquet so that they can pose for pictures. So in response to this selfish behavior, this Instagram uh, site called Public Lands Hate You has taken the responsibility of calling out these uh, photographic narcissists for their shoddy environmental stewardship. So um, this is done by a young man who is in the Pacific Northwest who says that he's visited every national park in the lower 48 states and that he doesn't want people his age treating nature in this way. And so he is calling them out, he's finding these pictures, he's putting them up on his site, and he's giving them a good lecture about their bad behavior and the way that they're Mis, uh, disrespecting nature. So it's interesting, though, that this, these two stories should come together uh, at the same time. Um, it, perhaps it's a new trend of um, just something new, a fad, something that people do because it is popular, uh, conformist, and um, it's a sign of the times perhaps in, in some areas of uh, the world that people are just simply not no, nature is not something, it's not our playground, It's and you all know that. It's something that we arise from, and it is kind of a sign of the times that we're seeing this. Okay, last for tonight is a, a kind of a related story. Um, if, if, if you live in the city, you're not going to appreciate this story. If you live in the country uh, where there are old buildings and things, you might uh, find this interesting, but uh, I think that it's, point of interest, similar to what we were talking about with the flowers. Um, the barns of the world, the barns of America anyway, are, be, are disappearing. And uh, in the preservation world, the preservation community, uh, they have what they call ethnographic landscapes. 
where landscapes contain a variety of natural and cultural resources that uh, people define as heritage resources. And in many ways, old barns are just that. They're part of history. They're part of the landscape. But barns are disappearing very quickly away from these heritage landscapes. Uh, they're victims of fashion as uh, rustic chic now, uh, chic, rustic chic, excuse me, is all the rage in uh, interior decorating. Uh, it goes along with the uh, themes of open floor plans and farmhouse sinks and, you know, all that. And uh, people are beginning to take the barns uh, for this very thing to decorate their houses. Now, barnwood became popular in the 1970s, but back then they didn't get every single barn. But now, now, <laughs> they're, they're working really hard to get every single barn, and this is according to the Associated Press. Uh, Kentucky, in particular, is a hotbed of barnwood thievery. Now, the sheriffs in that uh, state are getting riled. One of the sheriffs said, I've had a few people ask me, you're going to try to put me in the penitentiary for stealing some lumber? And the sheriff says, and I say, yeah, it's not yours to take. You're still on someone else's property that you're not supposed to be on. Now, one writer uh, says it like this. He says, the modern farmhouse craze is part of a broader cultural movement that favors farm-to-table cooking, farmer's markets, backyard chickens, walking communities, casual food trucks, and the like. It is meant to be an aesthetic reflective of a lifestyle that is genuinely simpler and more relaxed, not just a pretty pastiche. Now, most of these barns are not being used and are rotting away. And notably, admittedly, it takes a lot of work to preserve them. But let's face it, the nation only needs so many barn wedding venues. And with the decline of the family farm and the change in farming tech, it would seem that they're not really needed to some people. On the other hand, if this is a broader cultural movement that honors a bygone way of life, this writer asks, then how about leaving those barns and those ethnographic landscapes alone? And uh, it's, very, it's really food for thought. And related to this, uh, I kind of lied. I have a little something else I want to share with you before I leave. Um, <laughs> in relationship to the demise of family farms and the, uh, the change in that lifestyle that many of us were accustomed to early on in our lives, uh, foodborne illness uh, is at an all-time high. In 2018, was the it took the prize for foodborne illness. There was a dismal annual report released by the Centers of, uh, for Disease Control and Protection that reveals that over 25,000 Americans got sick and 120 died last year from food-related infections. And there were tons of investigations uh, into this. Um, it, everything from uh, romaine lettuce eggs, raw beef, frozen chicken, canned pork, other vegetables, uh, fish, selfish, you name it. Um, it's, it's really been an increasing serious problem. And, you know, the U.K. has a wonderful, well, let's just put it this way, a much better record than the United States. Uh, what they do in the U.K. is they vaccinate their animals against certain diseases. Uh, whether that's desirable or not, I don't know, but they do things that we don't do. In the U.S., instead of paying for that, many of the farmers now are letting their animals just get sick. And then when they slaughter them, they dip them in chlorine. 
at least they do that with chickens. I found that by reading this article. They say that they chlorinate these chickens because bacterial infections are four to five times higher in the United States than they are in Europe. And because washing chicken carcasses with chlorine allows farmers and food processors to, guess what, save the money they might have spent on systemic sanitation throughout the chicken's whole life. If you don't want to keep your chickens clean, you just drop them in chlorine to take care of it. And so in this discussion, we take a look at the uh, agribusiness and uh, large impact farming and how our food comes to us. This article is calling for a reform in uh, uh, foodborne illness and uh, that the U.S. needs to make legislation to protect uh, food hygiene for the sake of the public, that there isn't enough food safety legislation out there uh, for us. But as we look across the landscape of our lives and we see that the family farms are deteriorating and the barns, which used to, which used to at one time produce food for most of America, are now being torn down to make rec room walls <laughs> and whatever else, uh, are being replaced with uh, commercial farmers that are not not only honoring the animals but are not protecting the consumers uh, as time moves forward. This is all food for thought as we contemplate what we might do to make the world a better place moving forward. <laughs> and so I have a quote for all of you here that I thought was appropriate for the week. This comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest of all accomplishments. And then another quote from someone called Jonathan Davis says, You laugh at me because I'm different, and I laugh at you because you're all the same. <laughs> so here's the individuality and nonconformity. Yes, let us move forward. Let us not... Yeah, be yourselves, everybody. You're beautiful, wonderful gems of light and in some very dark spaces. So shine on and just be so glad that you're different. It is a wonderful thing. All right, much love to each one of you. Thank you, Ariel. I'll see you next week. Okay, well, thanks so much, Anastasia, for the Starseed News. And we'll talk to you next week. Okay, so... Um, Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, using astrology to track your daily transits and the empowerment that comes from doing that. Uh, your natal chart is the blueprint that you work with, uh, that you work, that you are throughout your life. And then as the planets in their normal orbits and rotations reach degrees and frequencies, that interact with your natal chart, that's your transit. And it has an effect on your life, on your evolution, um, like weather. And certainly, if you were planning a picnic, you would check the weather. If you were planning an outdoor wedding, you'd be checking the weather. If you're going on a road trip, you'd have a map. But yet people walk through their lives completely ignorant of the planetary weather. So uh, knowing where the planets are in your chart is extremely empowering. And you don't have to know 
everything about astrology. You could know just the basics or actually nothing at all, and you can still do this. Um, there is an app that you can get for your smartphone. You can get it um, on your you know, desktop version. It comes from Mac or PC, um, and it is called Time Passages. It's, um, it's very affordable, and, I mean, the app for the phone, if you just use it for yourself, it's free. So um, that's not a stumbling block. And then there's a book called Planets in Transit, written by Robert Hand, who incidentally was born on the very same day that Lavendar was born. And this book is like the industry standard for tracking transits. So if you have those two things, that's really all you need. You can look on the app, and it will tell you what your transits are for the day. And then you go to the reference book, and you go to that chapter, and there will be about two paragraphs that will explain the energies to you and how to best work with them. And after a while, if you've done this for you know, several months, you'll start to get a, a familiarity and until the point comes where you look at it, it's like, oh, I know what that is because you've read it several times before. So that's like the, the, the quick summary of how you would do this. But I want to go into detail about some examples of, of things that you would need to watch out for. Now, when you're, um, when you're tracking transits, the first thing you want to be aware of is the outer planets. Because they're so far away, their orbits are very long. They take years to go around the sun. Um, and therefore, when, when you're having a transit from one of those outer planets, um, it has the duration to bring evolutionary change to your life. And then the, 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 the closer planets, you know, Mercury, Mars, Venus, um, and, and Jupiter, um, they're kind of on the line. They're in the middle there. But those, those quick transits, sometimes they're only in for two days. And if you had, to, um, if you had a, a particular interest, of a project or some launching or some meeting that you would have to know exactly what's happening on that hour, then you would want to check the, um, the closer planet. They're called personal planets. Because they move so quickly, they're different for everybody. The outer planets, because they move so slowly, for example, Pluto would be anywhere from 12 to 20 years in one sign. So that's more of a generational planet. And everybody born in that, in that you know, 15, 20-year time period would have Pluto in the same sign. So what makes that personal is what house it falls in in your chart. So... Um, I just want to go through uh, kind of kind of quickly here, and if you have um, if you have your chart, if you're familiar at all with your chart, um, you'll you'll be able to get this more quickly. If you don't have your chart, there are many places online where you can run a chart. Um, they have all different styles, but you'll be able to at least see um, like your rising sign because the rising sign determines the divisions between the houses. And um, if you don't know your time of birth, 
that's going to make it a little bit trickier. But if you have an idea, you can at least get close. So I'll start um, just by kind of going around um, the houses. And if you go to uh, the website, let me, let me say this first. If you go to our vault at starseedhotline.com uh, forward slash vault, if you look kind of in the center of the page, there's a new link there, and it's called Astrology Quick Reference. If you, um, if you right-click on that, the menu will come up and you can save to your computer. Um, and if, if that's not coming, if you're, if you're on a system that doesn't use that, then you can just copy or paste, or you could keep logging back into Starseed Hotline to see this, this page. Because on one page, there's all the planets, all the signs, and all the houses, and concise definitions of each one. So you can essentially, you know, look at your chart and see, you know, oh, it's like, well, you've got, you know, Venus in Taurus um, in, the, in the seventh house. So that you can see that what Venus is all about and what, how does it affect the seventh house. Well, the seventh house is about your one-on-one relationships and how you get along with people. So having Venus in that house, Venus is very amiable. And um, it is about um, the arts and also um, can have to do with, with your belief systems. So if you had that in the seventh house, and I'm just using this as an example, then your interactions with people would probably be very um, easy. Venus is very amiable. It's, you know, the hostess with the mostess. Venus loves um, pleasantry and, and harmony. So that would affect your seventh house. And if you were born with that, then that would be something that would be lifelong. But you could have Venus transiting the seventh house, and it would affect uh, in much the same way. So the wheel is set up like a clock. It's got 12 uh, zones, 12 houses. And as you go around the wheel in the various houses, it is almost like um, a, a life story. The first house is how you see the world. And you think about when a baby's being born, they come out and they get their first glimpse at, at planet Earth in the third dimension. That's what your rising sign establishes, that first house. And so therefore, the first house and the rising sign is the way people would see you. And if your rising sign is different from your sun sign, then you would be presenting yourself in a different way because the sun sign is, is the core of who you are, but it's not necessarily what you show everybody. So the first house is that kind of emergent. When you come out, you're seeing the world for the first time and, and, and learning about your, your surroundings, your environments. And then when you move into the second house, that's about the values and the belief systems. And it's also art and music, uh, creativity, um, beautiful things, um, money, um, your finances. That's all in the second house. And, and then the third house is communication and education. So as the baby is growing, then they learn how to talk and learn and, and uh, go to school. And then the fourth house this is your home, your family, your base of operations. And uh, in starseed astrology, it's your starseed family. And then the fifth house, this is about your personal expression. 
So now the, the, the child is old enough to need to express themselves through art, through music, um, anything that you would create and put your name on, and that includes children. So then, as we go to the sixth house, this is about service. So now the baby has grown up, learned what, you know, what he values, got his education, got a home, he's got kids now. The sixth house is your, your daily work, your service to the, to the world. It's also about health, and, um, um, and that's the, the whole bottom hemisphere of the chart. So that's the part of the chart where you're growing, you're learning, you're establishing your place. And then the upper part of the chart, that's where you go out and do things in the world. So it starts with the seventh house, which is about your your relationships, your friends, your family, your acquaintances. It can be marriages, teachers, students, clients, any relationship that's one-on-one. It's about cooperation. And then the eighth house this is where you, the, 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 the transformation, the mysticism, the eighth house is, um, it's, well, it's ruled by Scorpio, so all you Scorpio people out there know what I'm talking about. They, there's a deep need to understand the, the depths of, of the meanings of things. That's why like archaeology, where you dig and dig down to find truth, and the eighth house is about the, the transformation and the changing, and that's when you start to uh, awaken you know, you know, spiritually. And then the ninth house, this is about the ultimate truth and freedom, justice, wisdom. Um, it is uh, your spiritual philosophies. And that's the house where you start looking at the big picture and seeking that higher truth. So the ninth house is very much um, kind of the lofty ideals and the big picture. Um, and then the tenth house, that's your, your public life. It can be your career. It can be your work. Uh, and so can the sixth house, your, the things that you do every day. But the tenth house is where you go out and you do things. You make your contribution. And you can also um, look for uh, uh, joint missions. Like with other star seeds, you get together, you go out and you do something publicly. That's tenth house things. And then the eleventh house this is about the, the humanitarianism, the, um, the, the view of the future. Um, a traditional astrology would be your hopes, your wishes, your dreams for the planet on a, on a big, you know, kind of a humanitarian level. Um, and it's also a house where soul contracts with other starseeds would be fulfilled. And then the 12th house being the last one, there's a little bit of all the previous houses held in the 12th house. And the 12th house um, is about your spiritual service to others. It's where you have learned to, to find compassion, to use your intuition. And um, uh, Pisces, which rules that 12th house, is, has a wonderful imagination. There's a lot of artists and, and uh, poets and creative people that have strong Piscean influences because of that, that 12th house influence. But it's about being of service to others. It's not about the self at all. And then it goes back to the first house where the cycle is complete. And so as planets move through these houses, um, it's like it's like moving uh, well, the way I the way I put it um is that the planet is like the body. The sign that it's in is like the outfit on the body. And then the house is where it goes in that in that in that suit. 
So now we're talking about the planets. So Mars rules the first house, therefore it is about that that emergent energy, the first day of spring. Mars is the, the, the masculine, the drive, the fire. Wherever Mars is in your chart, there will be a lot of usable energy. And also when you have to defend yourself or stand up for yourself or assert your ideas, Mars is the planet that will help you do that. It's very much about, you know, primal instincts and, and survival. So when you're in a corner and you're and, and, and you you're, you're like, you know, you know, life death struggle, it's Mars energy that will give you that adrenaline rush to, to save yourself. And then Venus, which is the ruler of the second house, as I mentioned a little bit before, it's it's about beauty, art, um, and in the second house, uh, well, let me make this point here. Every planet, every sign has a high side and a low side. It's just like, you know, a kindergarten and then graduate school. And the lower signs of, of the lower sides of the signs in the planets can be a little undesirable. And the challenge is to manifest those higher frequencies, it's like like in a in a chorus, there's sopranos and there's baritones. So you want to stay, you know, in the soprano section and take those frequencies to their highest level. So um, I'll just back up a house with Mars. The low side of Mars is t- being egocentric, in which everything is about you, and and you want your way and you want it right now. The higher side of Mars is where you know the the, the champion comes out. You know the the knight in shining armor kind of energy, where you can um, use that energy to propel yourself um, without being um, abrasive to people. And Venus um, c- can be very um, amicable, very um, very much about good times and everything's nice and light and airy. Um, art and beauty are of great concern. The lower side of Venus can be materialistic, and where it's just the possessions that that would you know attract the person. So getting that up into the higher octaves, so that it's not about materialism and 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 uh, you know superficial things. It's attaining that higher level, getting into the understanding of the values and the belief systems that shape our world. And voluntarily or involuntarily, it shapes us as well. The programming that we have in this world, you know, that and a lot of it is not based in truth. Um, this is something that people that have, like if you had Mars in the second house, that Mars energy would be translated into um, providing security and and transforming, using that energy to help uplift and transform the values and the belief systems that are holding people back. And um, now we go to the third house, which is ruled by Mercury. Mercury is um, the messenger. It's about information and information and then information. <laughs> Talk it, speak it, write it. Dis, uh, d- discover it, research it, any kind of energy that has to do with information, teaching, learning, being the messenger. That's Mercury. 
And if you think of the um, the element uh, mercury, like quicksilver, the stuff that's in thermometers, it cannot hold still. So that mercury energy is just it's you know I got to go see this, I got to go do that, and got to do this. It's it can be very um, energetic. Um, and the third house, this is where we uh, where we network our information. Um, the fourth house is ruled by the moon, and therefore it is about home and family. The moon is always about women and the feminine, and it brings intuition, nurturing. And it, if you have, uh, for example, if you if you were born with the moon in Cancer in its own sign, you would be greatly affected by the moon as it goes through all 12 signs every month. And it would greatly benefit you to get familiar with that because everybody on the planet is affected by the moon through the signs as a, as a, as a group, as a mass. Um, and I really got my training on this you know, when I was performing and I always know, okay, tonight the moon's going to be in Leo. I knew it was going to be a good night. Leo is outgoing. It loves entertainment. And, and there's you know, very, lots of generosity with Leo. So, you know, the tip jar was looking nice and full. Um, but yet there were other signs when it's like, okay, um, people are, are not going to be as generous tonight. So it helps you not to hold it against people because they're just reacting to um, an almost – involuntary influence so there's a little um, a little booklet it's called pocket astrologer it's done by Jim Maynard and um, you can find them online and it's got a wonderful section that explains the moon through the signs and how people as um, you know the public at large would react during you know those particular times so you know if if you have a day where you know, everybody's picking on you and you don't know why, don't blame yourself. Just go check and see where the moon is. And if you have a day where everything's going your way, check and see where the moon is because you'll start to be able to compile patterns so that next month when the moon is back in that sign where you had really two good days uh, where just everything was going your way, then wait for the next time for the moon to be in that same sign and see if the pattern doesn't repeat itself. And this is... This is so important uh, just in your outside, in your dealings with the outside world to know what people are being influenced by. It's like a floodlight that shines different colors, you know, and it goes through 12 colors a month. And, and it's going to influence some people um, in a compatible way. And if the moon's in a sign that's not compatible with them, they might be a little irritable. So it's really good for you to know personally where your moon is what sign it's in today, and um, and watch those patterns of how it affects you. Because the moon, really most of us, control, live, make our decisions based on how we feel about something. And the moon is about your feelings, where Mercury is your mind, your mental capacity. And so having, like if you had the moon in Cancer, you would be the most affected by the moon through the signs because the moon is the ruler of cancer. So it's like the tides of the ocean. It will pull you um, one way or the other. And if you have to find the pattern, it's like, you know, for the past three months, every time the moon was in such and such a sign, uh, it didn't, you know, 
didn't work out so well for me. So if you were going to launch part of your mission or make a move in your mission and the moon is in that sign, wait. Because you can, it, it's perfectly okay to stack the deck in your favor. But you have to know the cards in order to, in order to deal yourself a winning hand. So um, let's see, now we're going to the, the fifth house which is ruled by the sun and, and Leo. And the fifth house is that house of you know, creative expression. And the sun sign is, is obviously it's the core of who you are. It's, it's like your, your internal ego, your sense of self. And then the sixth house is another house that's ruled by Mercury, just like um, um, Gemini in the third house ruled by Mercury. So... Um, and that's why, you know, Virgos are so meticulous because they're ruled by Mercury and Mercury is about details and, and lots of them. Um, and then the, the seventh house is also ruled by, by Venus. It's like the next higher octave of the second house where the second house Venus can get into materialism and, and um, you know, putting um, appearances too high on the list, where the seventh house is a little bit, it's a higher octave. It's where the, the art and the beauty really um, reach that, that, uh, that, that mastership kind of level. But it's about cooperation and realizing that, that you have a place in the scheme of things along with your, your, your friends, family, and acquaintances and learning how to work cooperatively with them. So um, now the eighth house, we look at Pluto as that ruler, although before Pluto was discovered, they had Mars ruling the eighth house, and some people now think it's a dual, you know, both planets rule that house, but um, we think of more of Pluto for the eighth house, and that is that transformation. Pluto is a very powerful planet, and it brings great evolutionary change. So you think about the generation um, that, you're, that you belong to and all the people in your generation are going to have Pluto in the same sign. So, you know, for example, when um, in, the, in, the, in the late 50s and early 60s, Pluto was in Virgo. And now, and Virgo is about health and, and, and um, do, you know, doing things properly, following really high standards and um, yeah, health and physical health. So now the generation that was born in the, in the late 50s and, and 60s where, when Pluto was in that, in that sign of Virgo, look at the change in our food supply. How many more organic choices, you know, and people are like, oh, no GMO. And, and, I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't find those products. And now it's the fastest growing part of my uh, supermarket, my store, because people are more health conscious. And it's because those people from that generation are now the, the CEOs and chairman of the boards of the, the, the industry, and they're making healthier choices. And then, you know, the generation after that, Pluto is in Libra. So this is where people can learn to bring balance and they can transmute the imbalances. And, um, you know, and as Pluto goes through the generations, it's moving us into a new world of um, 
truth, transparency. You know, it's part of the age of Aquarius. Um, where we're going to rebuild the world, that you know, the generation with Pluto in Capricorn will rebuild the world into a much better and more functional place. And then the the ninth house is ruled by Jupiter, and Jupiter's kind of um, I think of it as a dessert planet because Jupiter is fun, it's good times, it's expansion, it's opportunity, it's always up spiral, unlimited growth and expansion. But even much even too much uh, of a good thing cannot be um it can be not beneficial. So um but Jupiter has the big picture, discernment is is a natural um attribute of Jupiter and Wherever Jupiter is in your chart natally is is where you've got a lot of ability and opportunities. Things just come easily to you. And on the same point, you have to know what house is Jupiter in for you right now. And that's where your opportunities are for growth, for expansion, for you know opportunities that, that are beneficial that just show up. Um, and now in the 10th house, this is ruled by Saturn. And Saturn is a builder. It's about structure, duty, propriety, um, integrity. Saturn is a taskmaster. It's not a fun and games, good times planet like Jupiter. Jupiter is like, you know, travel the world, have a great time, you know, expand your consciousness, uh, and the sky's the limit. Where Saturn is more like, wait a minute, let's. Let's take a look at all these details, make sure that, that what we're building is going to last. Think about the rings around the planet Saturn. It holds things in, they're boundaries, it's, it's limits. Okay, this is, this is okay, and this is out of bounds. You know, it's very much about propriety. So, and Saturn is a serious planet. It's about doing the hard work, but it's also um, the reaper. You reap what you sow, and, and Saturn is in charge of delivering karma. So that's why Saturn has kind of gotten a bad rap, because people have learned to fear it. Oh, you know, my Saturn return is coming. Oh, Saturn, you know, it, and it's, you know they expect um, all kinds of hardships. But that's only if you've been living in karmic debt. And then when Saturn comes back and, and aspects you know, either like your Saturn return when you're 30 or again when you're 60, that's when it's time to pay the piper. So since a lot of people um, don't really keep their energy clean in their interactions with other people and, and, you know, maybe pulling some fast ones here and there, when Saturn gets a chance, it's going to spank you. So it's not really something to fear because it's also about harvest. So if you've planted good seeds and you've, and you've handled your energy in a um, like living by the golden rule, then when Saturn comes around, instead of beating your butt, <laughs> it's time for harvest, and all of your good work pays off. So Saturn is it's tough love, but whatever Saturn builds will not fall apart because it won't let you take a shortcut. You've got to build it up to code. Don't be using those short nails. You've got to use the, you know, the things that will last. Um, and, and the 10th house in Saturn, it is, it is about achievement. Um, it's, Saturn rules Capricorn, and that's you know, the mountain goat who will get to the top of the mountain no matter what. 
um, there's, it's, a, it's an achievement. So making your mark on the outside world and making it a good one, leaving the world better than you found it. And then we go to the 11th house, which is ruled by Uranus. And Uranus is a planet of electrical lightning kind of energy. Out of all the planets in our solar system, Uranus is the only one that spins on an east-to-west axis. All the other planets are north and south. Uranus is the oddball, and as it's spinning on its side, essentially, the energy field is erratic. It's, it's kind of spastic. It's, you just, it, it's not an even tone like you would expect from the other planets. So consequently, Uranian interaction in your chart is unexpected. It's out of the blue. Um, it can be, it's about change, and it can be good or not so good. And it depends on what other energies are interacting with that that can tilt it one way or the other. So, in a, for example, if Uranus with this, like, think about lightning just kind of coming out erratically out of this planetary energy, if it happens to be um, in good aspect to Jupiter, whoa, look out. That, you know, the heavens can open up, you could win the lottery. Um, but that's that, you just, it's because it's that, that electrical energy stimulating another planet. And this is why Uranus, which rules Aquarius, Aquarians are usually different. They're called the soloists of the universe because there's no two alike. Aquarians do not like to conform. They've got to have total freedom. And um, they, they march to their own beat. And it is the Aquarians, I mean, think about it, the age of Aquarius, it's the Aquarians who have the view for a better future. And they're very progressive thinkers. I'm not saying that no other sign can have that, but that's, that's the influence of, of Aquarius and wherever it falls in your chart. Um, I mean, you're not, you don't necessarily have to have a planet in every sign. Some signs are missing from some charts. Uh, but... Uranus energy, it comes out of the blue. And it can be upsetting. I mean, you can get blindsided. But if you knew ahead of time that you've got Uranus sitting in this spot, like if you had Uranus in the second house, which, as I mentioned before, has to do with your money, it, you could get a windfall and then it would be gone. You, you know, you might blow it. So if you knew you had Uranus in the second house, Money can come where you least expect it. And the, the trick would be then to be wise with it and, and uh, you know, put it towards something that, that will take you uh, as a good investment spiritually. Where, um, you know, if Uranus was in your second house, you know, you might have um, some issue with your physical body, you know, um, and then you would not see that coming. So these are things that wouldn't you want to know? Um, for, and if Uranus, for example, was in the seventh house, that's about your relationships. Um, you might have a new relationship start or the relationship that you're in, if it's too stifling, it might end. But remember, relationships that are instigated with Uranian energy aren't really stable because Uranus is not a stable planet. So there might be fireworks for a while, but don't expect it to endure um, unless there are other mitigating factors. So that kind of gives you an idea. You know, with Uranus in the ninth house, that's where you get downloads 
from 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 the ship from your ET team um, because Uranus was given dominion over the heavens. So when energy, when thoughts, um, information, just kind of the light bulb goes off over your head, that's a Uranian influence. So um, now we move on to the 12th house, which I mentioned before was about spiritual service, and it's ruled by Neptune. And Neptune is an otherworldly planet. Um, it's not very comfortable in the third dimension. Neptune is about divine love, that highest selflessness, almost like you know angelic, um, ultimate compassion, um, you know, giving of yourself. Um, and it can get into it can get you in some trouble in in some of the other um, registers of Neptune. But Neptune is a very um, very spiritual planet, and it's not really happy in the third dimension. So if you've got a, a Pisces in a strong place in your chart, um, you might feel a little uncomfortable. And the third dimension could be harsh. You know, energies, um, the Neptunian Piscean influence is very sensitive. So, you know, when the when the when the big cold world kind of you know comes through your door, it's it's more upsetting. For that Piscean Neptunian influence, Neptune always wants to see the best in everybody. It wants to see the ideal. So, you know, if you look at someone and you've got this Piscean influence or this Neptune in a in a prominent position, you'll see the good in them, and you'll see the potential. And it's like, oh, they have a wonderful heart, and and you kind of are really happy with that vision of the person. But then when reality kind of rears its ugly head and the person shows their true colors, you can be a little crushed because you saw the good within them, but they couldn't wear it. They couldn't hold it. And and there can be a little bit of frustration because of that. Um, you know, my, myself personally, uh, I've got Neptune in the seventh house. So every relationship I've ever had, I see the very best in the person and I try to help them, you know, achieve that, but they can't always do it. So there is also, because Pisces is so selfless, it's ego-denying. That Piscean influence will not allow you to, to you know, pat yourself on the back too much. And um, therefore, uh, if you've got strong Piscean influence in your chart, you've always got this little voice deep inside of you that's saying, oh, you're not really all that good. Everybody thinks you are, but you're not. You're, you're not really worthy. You know, I don't really deserve this. And Oh, give it to someone else. They, they deserve it more than me. And that's kind of the way it translates for a lot of people in the third dimension. So, you know, if you feel, if you've got this Piscean influence and you feel um, not quite good enough or that, that you've got this self-doubt, that's what it boils down to is self-doubt. You know, and, and I mean, everybody's got a combination of these things in their charts. And in your chart, you can focus on the, the different flavors, depending on what you need at the time. And if you're in a, in a place where you've got to be really practical and that, that Piscean, you know, thought comes in your head, um, you just say, hey, Pisces, go sit down and shut up. I do it. I've, I've, got, I've got a strong Pisces in my chart. And when I'm doing my readings, that's what I rely on. But when I'm trying to, you know, make a make a, a decision, um, I need that to go lay down, and I'll and I'll go, you know, to some other place in my chart to make a, the best decision possible. So that's kind of like a, a crash course 
on, on how the planetary energies can affect you on your natal chart. So here's your blueprint. And as the planets are constantly in motion, they'll, they'll be sitting in all of your houses and transiting, and the ones that last the longest, as I said, um, you know, Jupiter is about a year in each sign, um, Saturn about two and a half years, and that's kind of borderline. I mean, that's, that's enough to really influence you, but it's not until you get to um, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto that are the evolutionary. So, yeah, for example, if you, had, uh, if you had Pluto in your first house, if it just entered your first house um, by transit, that's when it's kind of a do-over where you remake yourself, you reinvent yourself, uh, because Pluto has that transformative change energies, um, and you, you do a lot of house cleaning and, and make new, um, new affirmations. Where, uh, like if Jupiter were in your first house, you just had this really big energy, and people would see you as a big energy. Um, well, Pluto's a big energy too, but I'm trying to use these for sakes of example. Wherever Jupiter is in your chart, there will be growth and opportunities. So good to know that wherever Uranus is, that's where there's going to be changes, and they might not you not you might not see them coming. But if you know where Uranus is, um, you know if it's in the seventh house, you know that your relationships may be changing, and um, you might need to. Um, Re, re rethink the way you know they're structured and 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 repair if possible but it might be that if a person has just got too much if you're too much under someone's thumb and then uranus comes into your seventh house that's if you don't have the courage to break free uranus will throw a bomb in there and and they'll be gone and and you'll be free so it's always best to make the changes before before Uranus comes and does it for you. Because if you do it yourself, you get to pick your timing, you get to pick your method, and and if you don't do that, then Uranus will do it for you. And the end result will be the same, but it won't be quite as upsetting if you do it yourself rather than wait for, you know, some um, something to come out of left field and 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 change that relationship permanently. So... I'm going to um, open the switchboard if, if someone has a question about something that I've said. Um, I, don't, I don't really, I can't do readings of your chart, but if you have something that you don't understand, um, you can call. If you're already on the switchboard, just press 1. And um, if you're listening on the computer, then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. So I'm going to talk just a little bit about um, aspects of transits. It's easier to start with the houses because there's only, there's only 12 of them. And, but a planet in transit can affect any of your natal planets. If you think like a pool table and, and your planets are, are the balls on the table and then there's a transiting planet, if it's got a straight shot, to you know, if you're picking up a shot on a pool table, if you've got a straight shot to a planet, then that's it's like a clear pathway, and those two planets will interact. And as I mentioned before, if it happens happens to be Jupiter and Uranus, um, there are wonderful opportunities 
are just waiting to show up. Um, now, if let's say it was, um, well, I'll go for a, a personal planet like Mars. Mars can be, it's, it's a lot of energy, and it can be combative. That's why athletes, a lot of athletes have strong Mars energy, because it's competitive. Now, there's a difference, though, between friendly competition and, and, and you know, confrontation and doing battle. But if you need to do battle, um, you know, if you need to stand up for yourself, wait until Mars is, is, is um, aspecting, um, you know, like, like Mars trying Mars or Mars trying Jupiter. And that's where the book um, Planets in Transit will come in really handy because you don't have to know. You could, you could have not even listened to the first part of the show if you've got the app, Time Passages, um, which is the most accessible, and it's, it's all over. I mean, it's easy to get. Um, it's, you can get a full-blown you know, professional industrial astrology program if you want to spend the money, but truthfully, you'll probably never use the whole thing. All you need to know is the calculations so that will tell you what house a planet is in and how it is aspecting the other planets. Now, having said that, um, that the Time Passages app, it's got little, you know, uh, descriptions if you've, you know, if you've got, you know, you know, Mars trying Jupiter, but it won't really have that, that depth there that's more entertaining. So I would not pay attention to the Time app, I mean, the Time Passages app um, interpretations of those energies. Just use the app to find out what they are. So if you had like Mars trying Jupiter, you go to um, the book Planets in Transit, and you can get that anywhere. I think they've got it. Um, they, I think they actually have it in, in a download form, but it's a, it's a hardcover. I mean, a, a, a hard copy book. I'm just trying to get mine out from under here without knocking all the stuff on my desk off. But just to kind of give you an example. So if you look up on your app and you see that you've got. Um, Mars trying Jupiter. The book is set up in chapters according to the planets. So I'll go to the Mars chapter, and then that it goes in order. So it's it's really um, it's really easy to navigate. So if you had Mars trying Jupiter, um, here's what the book says. This is one of the best transits for almost any kind of activity. For your energies are high, you feel good, and you believe that you can do twice as much work as usual, which you probably can. Your muscles have unusually good tone and vigor, so this transit is extremely favorable for any physical activity, especially athletics. And this transit is often characterized as lucky, but it's not really luck that's operating here. It's rather that you are able to act with a complete picture in mind of what you're doing. You can plan with greater foresight and therefore avoid pitfalls that others might characterize as bad luck if they encounter them. And you will not encounter them, so you will be regarded as lucky. Um, and there's, there's a couple more paragraphs about that. But that's just the, the way the book is very easy to understand. It's very easy to navigate. And if, you are, if you're planning a new starseed business or if you're thinking about collaborating with another starseed, you definitely have to compare charts because you could have a wonderful chart and they could have a wonderful chart, but the combination of those two charts, you might bring out the worst in each other. So you have to know before you make these choices because you could spend you know, a lot of time going down a dead end 
and you won't know for two years that it was a dead end um, if you did not um, initiate with, you know, a stacked deck. You've got to have the wind at your back. And it's just, it's, it's imperative. If you're going to launch a new business, make sure you know that you're well away from Mercury retrograde. Because when Mercury re- is retrograde, you don't want to launch anything. They launched, um, you know, the, the, the space shuttle with Mercury retrograde, and it was destroyed. Some quirky thing. And they know, I mean, NASA knows about Mercury retrograde, but they think they're more powerful than a planet. So they did it anyway, and, 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 and lives were lost. So if you're going to launch anything, you've got to time it just right. You've got to have all the pieces um, as, to the best of your ability with your partners, with your, your timing of things, and astrology is the tool that will make it happen for you. And, and you don't have to get overwhelmed. You don't have to know very much, really, if you just know the basics. That's enough to get you through. Now, if you want to be a professional astrologer, um, then that will take time. It takes years. And, um, you know, and no matter how many years you've been studying, someone is always going to tell you something that you didn't know. So it's, it's an ongoing thing. So... Um, we don't have any questions. I'm looking up and down the switchboard here. We have a lot of people listening, but um, you know, if you have any question about planetary positions, influences, um, you know, timings, now's your chance. Because um, I've just about said everything that I was going to say. I mean, I'll tell you one more time. If you go to our website, StarseedHotline.com. And um, you can go directly to the vault, or if you go onto the site just through the main, the first page, you have to click enter, and then you'll get to the page that has um, our four pictures. And at the top of that page, um, there's a, a, a click, a, a link for the vault, and then that takes you to the vault. Or you can go straight there and just do starseedhotline.com forward slash vault. In that vault, I mean, in addition to the astrology information, there's a ton of um, information that came from Lavendar's vault. It is Lavendar's proprietary life work, and it is available for starseeds. Um, and you can, I mean, it's, it's there. You can, you can refer, it, refer to it as many times as you want. And in that vault, <clears throat> excuse me, you will find um, a new link that I just put up today called Astrology Quick Reference Sheet. And that's where you get everything that I've said tonight on one piece of paper. And as you're trying to, you know, look at your chart, you just use the, use, I call it a cheat sheet, really. <clears throat> if you're looking at your chart, it's like, okay, um, you know, I've got, I've got uh, you know, Venus in Capricorn in the 10th house. Well, you might make a living in, in some uh, occupation that has to do with art or, or um, you know, social amicability. And you can, you can, uh, you can see that on this, on this uh, sheet. You just pick one from column A, one from column B, and one from column C. And then just try to meld it together and get a, get a feel for what it, um, what it says. 
So um, I do have a request to talk more about the fourth house for starseed family. And um, because starseed astrology has a little bit different interpretations, um, as I mentioned before, you know, in traditional third-dimensional astrology, the fourth house is your home, your family, your base of operations. It's where, the, you know, like, the nucleus uh, of your of your um, activities in the outside world. It all comes from your home, your base of operations, and your family. But in starseed astrology, it's about your starseed family. So you can see um, how you would. Uh, if you have a mission on behalf of other star seeds, um, you know, like if you had if you had Venus in that fourth house, you know, on a 3D level, you'd you'd like your home to be uh, attractive, but on a star seed level, this is where I mean, and depending, of course, what sign it's in, but it might be where you have to. It shows that that you um, can help other star seeds. Because a lot of us, I mean, we all knew that this was a dangerous assignment, you know, coming to the third dimension. There's great beauty here, but there's also very dense energies, and there's there's some, you know, um, lower energies as well. And we come in with very strong intentions, but then a lot of us, um, you know, we 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 be, we're taught the wrong, you know, the, the well, we're taught um, illusion. And some of that comes through religion, some of it comes through, you know, parents, but a lot of star seeds have been kind of pulled off balance and off track because they got sucked in to the third dimensional reality, forgot who they were, you know. So if you've got um, strong planets in that fourth house, it's part of your mission to help those other star seeds to find their balance, to get up on their feet, to wipe the sleep out of their eyes, and get on with their work. Um, did, 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 did that answer your question, Kathy? Because <laughs> it's like our, our uh, one of our switchboard producers had kind of texted me on the on the switchboard with that question. So I hope it I hope that answered. Um, yeah, and Starseed, you know, one thing we all agreed before we ever came here is that when we find each other in the third dimension, that we'll help each other, um, you know, stick together, you know, all for one, one for all. And that's, that's a mission that every starseed has. We have a, a, a duty and a responsibility to our starseed family to, to help them. So... Um, it looks like we might have a question coming in. Uh, I'll have to wait until um, our producers are done with the caller. So um, let's see. Well, I can also tell you a little bit about solar returns. That's when the sun comes back to the exact same degree that it was at when you were born. And this opens up a 10-hour window where your manifestational ability is a thousand times stronger than any other time of the year. So knowing when that happens is critical because whatever you're doing for those 10 hours will reverberate. So if you, if you were, uh, you know, fighting with people, then you'd be, you'd be in conflict for the rest of the year. 
I tell the story in our solar return document that I always send out when people ask for their timing. Um, my very first solar return, um, Lavendar took me to um, this mountaintop in Colorado near where she had the A-frame that I'm sure most of you have heard about. And uh, it was such a magical day. And it was my first solar return, and I really, really wanted to do it up right, do it good. On the way there, I mean, there was a blizzard, and we trudged through knee-deep snow to get to this, this clearing on the, on the top of the mountain where it was a real special place. On the way there, there was 11 rams. And, of course, I'm an Aries, so that meant something to me. And, you know, I, I sang, I, I made my proclamations, and, and then we came back, and one of us had accidentally locked the keys in the car. And so here I come down off this big mountain, big energy, big spin, feeling really powerful, you know, like kind of like King Kong. And we get back down and can't get in the car. And I spent two hours of my solar return trying to break into a locked car. And we finally had to call a locksmith because it just couldn't be done. Consequently, that year, every door that I knocked on, I couldn't get in. Nobody would see me. Nobody, I couldn't get appointments. I couldn't get meetings. And it's like all the doors were closed. And that was a huge lesson. It was a valuable lesson, even though it wasn't all that much fun for that year. But it's so vitally important that you um, understand when your 10 hours happen and, and really um, you know, make the most of it, take control of it. And sometimes it could happen the day before your birthday because it's about the degree of the sun, not the calendar day. And because we have leap year, it's often the day before your birthday, which is really good because you can do what you want. And if someone has a surprise party planned for you, um, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to do that. You can go do your thing and, and you know, proclaim your manifestations for the year as if you already have them. And um, and then if if someone expects you to do things on your birthday, you know, oh, we've done all this for your birthday, come and, you know, and it's like, boy, thanks a lot, but it's really not what I needed at the time. So it's always, I'm always glad when my solar return happens the day before my birthday because you can do it secretly and keep it all to yourself. So, well, it turns out that that caller did not have a question. So um, I guess we're just going to wrap it up. And I, I do want to remind you that, uh, let's see, we are going to be going to Arkansas for the Starseed Quest. So, I think next week, um, I think next week is our last show before, um, before we leave for Arkansas. So, and then we'll be off for two weeks, and then we'll come back um, after we complete our Starseed Quest. And it's going to be a big one. So I want to thank you all for listening, and, and I do hope that, um, that you take this to heart because a, a starseed that has no clue about their, tra- their daily transits, you're like a cork in the river, and you could be taken one way or the other, and you're not really the captain of your own ship. So knowledge is power, and astrology gives you the power to um, really – navigate your mission and hit the target and for the most benefit for everybody not only for yourself but for the people that your that your new business or project would benefit 
So everybody wins when you know what you're doing. So um, I'm, I'm just looking at the switchboard here. I'm about to say good night, and and now we have someone else with a question. So uh, I'll give them I'll give them a minute to see if I can help. So let's see what else. Um, I think I've really I've really covered everything. So okay. Dun da 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 da. Kathy, do you have another question while I'm waiting to see uh, what the caller has for me? Um, okay, I know what I'll tell you about. If you, um, and this was something that one of the first things that Lavendar taught me when I was learning about astrology, and um, it's not it's not world changing or anything, but if you um, look, if you're a woman and you look at Mars in your chart. That's the kind of man that you're attracted to. If you're a woman, I mean, if you're a man, you look at where your Venus is, and that's the kind of woman you'd be attracted to. So, and that's, it's, it really t- it will stand the test of time. I don't know if this caller has a question or not. Oh, no question, just wanted the website info. Okay, so um, if you go to starseedhotline.com you can go straight to the vault if you put in you know starseedhotline.com forward slash vault dot htm or if you just go to the, the website the first page you'll click enter and then the second page is where you'll find the link for the vault it's up kind of in the left top left quadrant of the page and that will take you to the vault and in there you can download anything um that we have, whether it's you know the the documents from Lavendar's vault or the astrology quick reference sheet, um, but like I said, it's it's <laughs> it's really a cheat sheet. But as long as it helps you, I don't think it's cheating. It's just succinct and precise, everything on one page. So if you right click on that, you can save it to your computer, um, or you can just copy and paste it somewhere or you can just keep coming back to the site to reference it um, because I'm going to leave it up there. So um, I hope that answered your your question. And that's it for us tonight. So we'll be back next week. And uh, we've got a great guest, Maureen St. Germain, is going to be back with us. And we'll look forward to speaking with her next week. And until then, go get Time Time Passages app. And, and play around with it. Um, if you have a choice between house systems, I don't know if that parameter, I think some of the Time Passages apps um, have that parameter, uh, where you can choose the Coke house system. It's spelled K-O-C-H. That is for star seeds. The Placidus house system um, is, is not so much for star seed astrology, um, but if that's all they have, it's it's better than nothing, okay? <laughs> so get the Time Passages app. Get the book called Planets in Transit by Robert Hand. And enjoy the journey. Until next week, everyone, you take care and find gratitude and compassion every day. Good night, everyone. You 
been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.